Welcome to this message from the teaching ministry of University Presbyterian Church in Orlando, Florida, under the leadership of Senior Pastor Mike Osborne. Good morning. The scripture reading this morning is going to be taken from the book of Philippians, chapter 1, verses 12 to 18. Philippians 1, beginning with verse 12. Now, I want you to know, brothers, that what has happened to me has really served to advance the gospel. As a result, it has become clear throughout the whole palace guard and to everyone else that I am in chains for Christ. Because of my chains, most of the brothers in the Lord have been encouraged to speak the word of God more courageously and fearlessly. It is true that some preach Christ out of envy and rivalry, but others out of goodwill. The latter do so in love, knowing that I have been put here for the defense of the gospel. The former preach Christ out of selfish ambition, not sincerely supposing that they can stir up trouble for me while I'm in chains. But what does it matter? The important thing is that in every way, whether from false motives or true, Christ is preached. And because of this, I rejoice. The word of the Lord. What's up with your box? That's not mine. Oh, well, how long has it been here? Since before I got here. I don't know. It's not my, it's not my problem. Well, what is it? It's a problem. Oh, a problem. Right. Well, should I look at it? Knock yourself out. Uh, but you might want to think about that. Oh, Why? Well, like I said, that's a problem. Well, whose problem is it? I don't know. It was here before I got here. So you don't know whose it is? No, and honestly, I don't really care. I've got more important things to do. Well, someone has to care. I mean, you can't just sit here forever. It's got to be someone's problem. Why? Why does it have to be someone's problem? Just don't look at it. Pretend it's not even there. Hey, (laughs) there is no problem. Okay, wait, so what you're saying is it's not your problem. Right. And it's not my problem. Yeah. Then whose problem is it? Make it your problem. So what is the problem? You know, we could name a bunch of problems that exist in our world today that make the world a difficult place to live in. But you know what the worst problem is? It was brought home to me this morning when I went out and got the newspaper, and I don't normally check the obituaries, but I did. I looked at the obituaries and counted roughly 82 people in Central Florida who have passed away in the last few days. wonder how many of them knew Jesus Christ. I wonder how many of them had had someone tell them about the way to be forgiven, the way to get to heaven. You know, those 82 people represent hundreds, thousands of people who every day go off into eternity. These are your neighbors. They're the people you work with, the people you go to school with. The folks you see in the checkout line at the grocery store. 
The people you see in the next car waiting for the traffic light to change. And so many of these people are living without hope and dying without Christ. Brothers and sisters, before Jesus left us, he gave us an assignment. And that assignment was called the Great Commission to make disciples of all nations. Call it what you will, call it evangelism, witnessing, sharing your faith, call it loving your neighbor, whatever you want to call it, it's our job and it should be our joy to help as many people as possible take a couple steps closer to Jesus. Jesus left us with that assignment. It is our problem. We're going to talk about it today and for the next few Sundays. We are in a study of the book of Philippians. I've titled this study, To Know Christ and to Make Him Known. Last week, Matt preached and took you through most of Philippians chapter 1, where you learned about the Apostle Paul. You remember the story there that when Paul wrote the book of Philippians that we're looking at, he was in prison in Rome. He stayed there for at least two years and What Matt pointed out last week was that Paul, despite the fact that he was in prison, despite the fact that he was chained to a guard all of the time, he was still filled with joy. You remember it says that there in the verse of the end of verse 18. He says, I rejoice. Why? Why did Paul rejoice? Well, because according to that same verse, Christ was being preached. It made Paul happy. It gave Paul delight. To know that even though some of the preaching that was going on around him out there was maybe not with the best motives in the world, but what gave Paul great joy was that people were being introduced to Jesus Christ. As it says in verse 20, Paul wasn't self-centered. He wasn't whining. He wasn't complaining. Paul did not say, it's not my problem. Verse 20 says, no, Now, as always, Christ will be exalted in my body, whether by life or by death. Paul knew that he was here to help people understand and believe the gospel. Paul understood the mission of the church, the mission of the Christian, to be a spokesperson, to communicate as best we can, as best we know how, the unchanging truth of Jesus Christ. So how is it with you? How is it with you? What are you doing? And you've got to be honest with yourself here. You, what are you doing to help people move a little bit closer to God? Well, I hate to be the bearer of bad news. But here at UPC, we got some work to do. we got some work to do. And it's part of my job to call us to do this work. Um. Last May, a bunch of you guys filled out a survey. Do you remember the Reveal survey? It has been looked at at various times over the months since last May. And we're putting together some thoughts that are really helping us look more carefully at our church and more carefully at the future. It was called the Reveal survey. And 185 of you filled that out. Now, in a church our size, which is about 700, last count was 700 33 people, members and regular attenders. In a church that size, 
That means about 25% filled out the revealed survey. That's really actually very good. But the results of the survey showed, while it did show some real strengths, in fact, in one particular area, we were, compared to the other churches in the country that took this same survey, we were out front leading the way. But let me show you a couple of charts, and you'll see where we're not leading the way. All right? You ready to feel guilty for a little while? Okay, I'm going to give you some news, give you some bad news, and then I'm going to give you some good news. But one of the questions on the reveal survey said, how do you participate in key spiritual activities with other people? And it's talking about with, non, with uh, non-Christians as well as Christians. Um, notice that we're doing really well in some of these areas. For one thing, uh, these 185 people, over half of them said that they are nurturing a spiritual friendship. Uh, about a third of them said they're meeting with a mentor or a confidant. That's good. Another third said, uh, or maybe it was the same third, I don't know, but they were serving those in need on their own. That is not related to an organized church activity. So that's a good thing, but I saved the worst for last. Look at this. Doing evangelism. 19% of us say that we're doing evangelism. And notice the very generous definition of evangelism. According to the survey, evangelism means that you're having six or more spiritual conversations in a year. Now, spiritual conversation, let me define that too. Again, it was a fairly generous definition. A spiritual conversation, and we're going to be talking about this in the next few weeks, is a conversation in which you're talking with a non-Christian and you talk about your own faith experience or you ask them a spiritual question that gets them to share their thoughts or you tell your friend that you're praying for them or you maybe share what Jesus has done in your life. A spiritual conversation is any one or more of those things that brings God into into the conversation, right? About one out of five, one in five of us are doing that six or more times a year. We can do better. People got, we got to do a lot better than that. And then let me show you another chart here too. This brings the same thing out. This is now specifically related to evangelism. The question was, how do you encourage non-Christians towards spiritual growth? That is a, a good way of putting it. How do you help people take another couple steps toward God? And here is a host of different things that you guys do. Many of you do them well, um, talking about spiritual issues, talking about praying for them, displaying Christian symbols. I guess that's fish on the back of your car, or I don't know what that is, but uh, trying to learn about their life. All of those things are good. Now, notice the arrows, though. The arrows going down, that's a signal that this area is below the average of churches that took this survey. So you see the ones that are below average, and then you notice the one that's two arrows. That means we're way below the average. We need to really perk up our ears when you see the two arrows, and that's why I put it in red. Notice that when it comes to evangelism, only 17% of us are, according to the survey, are are inviting an unchurched or a non-Christian friend to come to church with us. And that's really one of the least offensive things that we could be talking about, right? 
hey, we got a church over here on Rouse Road. Would you come with me next Sunday? No? Well, okay. Well, I tried. You know, I mean, inviting them to church, whether they came or not, that's the 17%. And this is very ironic because I've shared with you before the research that has shown that 96% of unchurched people will at least show interest in coming to your church with you when they are invited. 96%. Will will somewhat, I think the wording is, at least somewhat be likely to attend your church when they're invited. So we know that, but we're not doing a good job. I want to say to you, though, today begins a new era at UPC. By God's grace, brothers and sisters, we are going to begin changing these numbers. They're not acceptable. And you and I, with God's help and God's spirit filling us, we can change those numbers. We're going to wipe that slate clean and we're going to start again. And I'm going to be asking you over the next three weeks, as we do a little mini series, it's really a three-part sermon on what it is and what it requires and how you, you, you can Share your faith with words with non-Christian people. You can do it, and we're going to see how, but I want to ask your commitment to be here and to pray and ask the Holy Spirit to begin a new movement of evangelism at UPC. Because, friends, this has got to change. Jesus wants it to change. He wouldn't have told us in his last commandment before he left us, to make disciples of all nations if he didn't think we could do it. And with his help, we surely can. Now, this is not going to be like my most, most of my sermons today, nor will this be the next two weeks either. Uh, we're not going to look verse by verse or paragraph by paragraph through the Bible here in Philippians 1 because this is such an important topic. I'm going to use this as a launching pad to talk about the importance of evangelism and how to do it. And so what I want to do in these next three sermons is give you some tools some practical teaching on how you can leave here and begin a new way of life, an evangelistic way of life. Today, here's what I'd like to do. First of all, I want to talk about recognizing and overcoming the obstacles in your life when it comes to this area. Secondly, I want to talk about how you can develop, beginning today, an evangelistic attitude. And third, I'm just going to barely mention this one and save it for next week, I want to tell you that you've got to learn a simple, easy-to-remember gospel presentation. And you're going to walk away from here the next three Sundays, today and the next two, with a simple, easy-to-remember gospel presentation. We're not going to get to it today, but today instead I'm going to sort of set set the stage and talk about these other two things. So let's begin. When it comes to evangelism, when it comes to beginning this Uh, desire that we have to grow in this area, the first thing we must do is recognize and overcome our obstacles. And I want to mention two big obstacles when it comes to this area of speaking about Christ. I know you've got them. I know I've got them. So let's recognize these obstacles and begin to do something about them by God's grace. Two of the biggest obstacles are fear of man and isolation. Let's take the first one first. Fear of man. What I mean is fear of people. One of the biggest obstacles 
that keeps us from telling others about Jesus more courageously is that we're afraid. Afraid of what they will think about us. Afraid of being labeled a bigoted, narrow-minded, conservative, no-brain person, whatever they want to call out there, you know, in, in, the, in the world today. Afraid of not knowing what to say. Afraid of being caught off guard when we're asked a question and we don't know the answer to that question. Afraid that at best our non-Christian friend will just be indifferent and disinterested, or at worst, will reject us from being our friend. Uh, We're afraid of those things, and probably more too. This is something I've struggled with my entire life. I love peace and calm. I don't really relish confrontation. I love predictable situations. I don't know if you're like me, but that's something I've struggled with my whole life. But I've discovered what's at at the root of that. I've discovered what's at the root of my fear of man is thinking that it's all up to me. I make myself too big. I make God too small. I think it's all up to me and my words and my ability to be eloquent, my ability to figure out what to say in every situation, that it's my job to convert people, to have all the right words. And and it's just not true. It's just not true. Paul, for example, the great evangelist, the Apostle Paul, in 1 Corinthians chapter 3, listen to what he says. He says in chapter 3, verse 5 of 1 Corinthians, what is Paul? What is Paul? Who am I? He says in that passage. He says, I'm just a servant. I planted a seed and Apollos, Apollos was one of his cohorts, Apollos watered the seed, and it was God, Paul said, who made it grow. Now, this is Paul. Paul surely knew how to win converts to Christ, right? But he says, but but who am I? I'm just a servant. He goes on to say, so neither he who plants nor he who waters is anything, but only God who makes things grow. So, friends, that ought to encourage you, no matter who you are, you're sitting there thinking, Mike, I've turned you off already because I'm just not a person who likes to evangelize. I don't have the gift of evangelism. I'm telling you, you're supposed to do it. You and I both are supposed to tell people about Jesus. And God is saying, guess what? I'm the one who makes it happen. I'm the one that brings people to myself. All you got to do is plant a seed. Just be a servant. Your job is not to save people. I love the movie, What About Bob? You got Dr. Leo Marvin in that movie, played by Richard Dreyfus, who is telling Bob what to do. And you remember what his advice is? Baby steps. Baby steps. Maybe it will help you to think that your job when it comes to evangelism is to just help a non-Christian take one, maybe two baby steps toward Jesus. And there are a lot of ways that you can do that. And you'll be hearing all about that. So what God is calling you to do is to be a servant, just to be a jar of clay. Inside you is what? A treasure. It's called the gospel, the message, the good news that Jesus has died for sinners to take our sins away and give us new life and new hope. That's the message, the treasure that we have. And Isaiah chapter 55 verse 11 says that when we share it with people, 
it won't return to God void. Isaiah 55, 11, my word that goes forth from my mouth will not return to me empty, but it will accomplish that purpose for which I have sent it. Again, an encouragement to you who have a fear of people, who are afraid of failing, afraid of making a fool out of yourself. You need not be afraid because who are you? You know, you got to remember you're small and God's big. And that's a real liberating truth. So that's one big obstacle that we face in this battle to to be good witnesses for Christ. Let me go on to the second obstacle. The other one is isolation. That is a lack of meaningful relationships with non-Christians. A lack of meaningful relationship with non-Christians. For some of us sitting here this morning, the obstacle is that we don't have any non-Christian friends. Listen, if you want to catch fish, you got to be close to a body of water. In the same way, if you want to introduce people, if you want to help somebody take another baby step toward Jesus, you need to be where they are, go where they go. You need to know your neighbors. You need to intersect with people who yet do not know Christ in some kind of redemptive way. Fashion Again, I want to tell you that this is very hard for me. I find this very difficult. I'm an introvert. I am. I love my peace and quiet. I love space. And so I've had to take some intentional steps. Besides, I work with Christians all the time. You don't know what it's like to work with Christians all the time. I'm just kidding. But the truth is I am. I'm, I'm, I'm encapsulated in the church. And so I have to take some intentional steps out of the church into the world. And so here's what I've done. I think you need to know this. I've joined LA Fitness and a few of us play racquetball and it has exposed us to a number of different men over there who play racquetball. There's this one fellow that if you play racquetball with me, you know who I'm thinking of. We have tried to reach out to him. He's just so much better than we are. It's embarrassing. But we have, and he came to church one Sunday about a year ago, and we're continuing to kind of reach out to him. And then, uh, but yesterday I did something different. I did something new. You remember, you guys gave me a bike last fall, and I joined Eastside Cycling Club, located over in Avalon. Some of you are members of the Eastside Cycling Club. I did my first ride yesterday, and it was a lot of fun. I'm telling you, I had to kind of push through that initial resistance. Me, introverted Mike, I don't want to, oh, you know, what will I look like in those Speedo kind of costumes? And, um, you know, ah, all kinds of fears and how stupid I'll look. And I don't understand A, B, and C. And I don't know the route. I mean, believe me, that's how how paranoid I am, okay? Uh, But I had a great time. And I engaged in a spiritual conversation with with a man that I met. And he told me about his, his child that is having some trouble. And, it, you know, it's just not that much like rocket science. We've got to simply be out there with the people who need Jesus and be willing to speak and say something, which I'll talk about a little bit, a little bit later. But do you know then, do you understand what I'm driving at? For some of you, listen, the kingdom of darkness will shudder when you walk across the street and introduce yourself to one of your neighbors, Satan hates that. God loves that. The hosts of heaven shout when you simply 
in your own unique way. Love on someone whom you know or whom you think does not yet know Christ. If you're going to help people move closer to Jesus, you've got to move closer to them. So these are the two obstacles. There are others, but it's all the ones that I wanted to talk about today. Fear and isolation. How do you overcome them? No better way than to constantly be preaching the gospel to yourself. Remind yourself that you are the child of God, dearly loved by him, filled with his spirit. He is delighted in you even when you fail and blow it with somebody. God says, ah, Oh, way to go. You are my child in you. I am well pleased. See, the more you have that mentality, the more you bask in the affection of your father, the more courageous you will be and the less isolated you will become. So the first thing, if we would call these these things uh, keys for doing evangelism, the first key is to recognize these obstacles and by God's grace, keep working on them, pray against them and overcome them. All right, let's move on. The second key to becoming better at sharing our faith with non-Christians is to develop an evangelistic attitude, an attitude that you maintain throughout the day. Now, when I think about Paul, for example, I see a man who had an evangelistic attitude. He says in verse 16 of our text today, I am put here and where is here? prison. I am put here for the defense of the gospel. Like I said earlier, Paul could have wimped out. He could have become a complainer, a self-centered whiner. He could have said, you know, this stinks, this prison of mine. It's not my problem what's going on over there, these people that are going to hell. God, you're going to have to get me out of here. And if you will get me out of here, then I'll do my, I'll do your work. Have you ever, have you ever said something kind of like that to God? Lord, if you would just do A, I'll do B. (laughs) That's not an evangelistic attitude. Paul certainly didn't think that way. No, an evangelistic attitude says, I am put here, here for the defense of the gospel, for the cause of Christ. I am put in this city. In this neighborhood, in this job, in this school, with this unique personality, so that I, I might be an ambassador for Jesus. That's an evangelistic attitude. So, what are some ways that you can develop this and carry it with you throughout the day? I'll give you some practical suggestions. First, when you wake up in the morning, pray. Pray and ask God the Holy Spirit to fill you with a sensitivity to the non-Christian people that you will meet that day. Ask God, the Holy Spirit, for opportunities to interact and to even have spiritual conversations with someone or more than one in that particular day. Pray. Make it a a matter of prayer. It takes 10 10 seconds to make that prayer. Then, next... As you wake up and move throughout your day at work or school or neighborhood or what have you, as you see people, I want to ask you to put on gospel glasses. Now, that's just a way of saying that you're to look through the gospel whenever you see people. What does that look like? What it means is that when you see people, you see them as human beings created in the image of God with a soul, with dignity. 
You see them as people with a destiny. And it's one place or the other. There is no in-between. They are either bound for heaven or bound for hell. You can see these people through the gospel lenses as people who have been made just a little bit lower than the angels. That's how dignified they are. When you see them, look at them that way. As people with a God-shaped vacuum who desperately need the gospel. Sometimes God, when you see these people, will lay one of them particularly on your heart. You'll just be thinking, why why am I noticing that woman over there? Why am I noticing that guy over there? When that happens, just lift up a silent prayer for that person. Ask God, Lord, be at work in that person's heart. Okay, then as you move throughout the day, work, school, whatever, simply try to be different. This is this, this evangelistic attitude. Simply try to be different. What do I mean? Smile. Be friendly. So many people out there are just not friendly. Let's be different. Do kind things for people. Let them cut in line in traffic. Stop for them over at the Waterford Town Center so they can walk by as pedestrians. Let them be in front of you in the checkout line in the grocery store. Do kind things for people like that. Talk to them. Say something. You're in the elevator. There's another person. Just say something. Anything's better than nothing. You're at work. You're at school. Whatever. Talk to them. Compliment people. Thank people. You're a student. You're an employee. Work hard and work with integrity. Don't complain one little bit. Don't whine. Don't bash your boss. And while you're doing all these things, the other rule to keep in mind is don't be a Pharisee about it. You know, non-Christians can spot a a self-righteous, proud Christian a mile away. Let's not be those people. Let's be humble, loving, kind, considerate. And then, finally, as you are walking around through the day, doing your work with gospel glasses on, being different, when you are talking with people, see if you can turn the conversation in a spiritual direction. And I will tell you more about how to do that next Sunday. But it's so important, and it's not hard to turn conversations in a spiritual direction. So our first two keys so far are to overcome those obstacles and secondly to develop this attitude, this day-long attitude that I'm always thinking of gospel. I'm always thinking of people who need Jesus and I'm always making myself available in whatever way I can, whether by word or by deed. The third key that I will get into next week is that if we're going to be better at evangelism, Individually and collectively, we need to learn a simple, easy-to-remember gospel presentation. In other words, we need to be prepared. I saw the movie Act of Valor the other day. Those Navy SEALs are prepared. They are really prepared. And we who believe in Jesus often are not well prepared. And I think part of that is that we haven't learned and we haven't committed to memory a simple, easy to remember outline that we can tell people the gospel, even if it's little bits and pieces here and there. So I'll get at that next Sunday. But I want to take you back before we leave today. I want to take you back to what we saw in the video earlier. That person said, it's not my problem. Do you understand now that we've talked about it? 
It is your problem. It is my problem that people don't need, don't know Jesus Christ. We need to make that our problem. Take seriously the sin that has kept us from being about the business of sharing our faith with people. And we need to covenant together to hold one another accountable to be a different kind of people from that. A people who love our neighbor enough to help them move a couple steps closer to God. Now, I want to ask you to come back next week and pray through the week that God is going to do something here at our church that will really surprise us and glorify him. Because I'm, I'm pretty sure he is, and I'm excited about it. So let's pray. Father, I thank you for my friends at UPC. We together just want to tell you that we need help. This is an area that does uh, produce a lot of guilt feelings, and sometimes the devil knows how to capitalize on that and paralyze us with guilt. It also is something that creates a lot of fear and insecurity, and so we ask that, Holy Spirit, you will overcome those things and show the way that we as individuals and as a church can be about the business of the Great Commission better than we ever have before. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. We at University Presbyterian Church thank you for listening to this message. Our mission is to help people know God, grow together, and serve others. To learn more about the church or how to have a vital relationship with God, visit our website at www.upc-orlando.com or call our offices at 407-384-3300.